You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. All right, Jason, how are you? I'm awesome today. How are you? I'm good. It's uh, been a while since you and I talked alone. <laughs> yes, alone. So many We've had interviews Exciting. and yeah, yeah. <laughs> lots of stuff going on. So uh, today, this was your topic, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hammer you with questions because we're talking about IPSs, and uh, this is I've actually heard it phrased different ways, but investor policy statement is that what yep, you know? Or to inve- investment policy statement, or even investing policy statement. Okay, yeah. In our es- episode with Karsten, um, and a, the follow up episode to Karsten. He kind of pushed you on the on the replenishing the bucket strategy, right? Because he has this big idea that uh, the bucket strategy is essentially window window dressing, and it was something that you hadn't addressed in your IPS. Now you shared your IPS with me before, and I, did. I I can confirm that there was nothing in there about how you would refill the buckets, replenish the buckets, sell stocks or sell bonds or whatever your diversifying asset is to replenish the cash bucket. Yep. Um, and so I can confirm that it wasn't in there, but I want you to convince me that I actually need one of these IPSs because I've seen it and I'm like, do I need this? I, you know, I don't think that's an unfair question, Eric. Uh, you know, as part of the homework that we always do for our conversations, I was digging around the Bogleheads forum. You know, those generally speaking, right, if you're on that forum, you're pretty financially aware. Some of them are you know, seriously aware and total money nerds. But they did a poll at one point. Now that I think this poll might have been 10 years old, but the forum's older than that. And they asked, you know, how many people had at least an investing plan, which is actually a simpler document. And it was only about half. So, uh, you know, obviously there's plenty of people doing great stuff without an IPS or even the simpler type plan document. For me, I find it useful. I don't know if I will convince you and anyone <laughs> listening to our conversation by the end of this, but I will give it my all because I, in fact, have found it useful. It just it seems like something else to do. And in the laundry list of things to do, I'm like, well, what kind of value is this going to provide me? It strikes me that this was something that your financial advisor sort of brought to the party. Is that true? It is true that the first time I even became aware that an IPS was a framework that had any utility, never mind that it existed, was through my former financial advisors. And so I think it's pretty common practice when you're working with any RIA firm or somebody like that who's going to guide you in some fashion on your investments. Um, you do some kind of interview process. You sort of establish your goals and your your sort of capacity, your tolerance for risk, things like that. And, you know, all of that at the end of that process, you have a framing document, um, most often called an IPS, that really lines up your objectives, your plans, your, your kind of all the framework around what my investing approach practices uh, and philosophy will be like. For the long term. And so that is definitely the first time I became aware of it. But it's also true that since I left uh, the services of that firm uh, going on a year ago now, that I had took it on myself and began to find value in updating it with my current approach. And we can talk about that. So, I mean, it strikes me that there there's probably not 
too many different flavors of what your investment goals are going to be. But maybe I'm just being naive here. You know, if I'm thinking pre-fire, my investment goal is probably going to be total portfolio return, right? And maybe post-fire, it's going to be capital preservation. I mean, is that, am I just being kind of naive here? I think when you're talking about like the top level objective, that's probably true um, because, you know, it's not until you go kind of a level down or peel the onion a little more that you start to come down to, you know, these are the four or five things specifically that I care about. But sure, at a high level, I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if we get the dividend investors in here, they're going to, you know, they're going to, they might have a different spin. Yeah, um, yield is, right? is a yield. yeah, yield is another sort of high level goal that many people yeah. have. So what's your what's your current goal right now? Well, my goal is pretty simple. I'll, I'll shoot, I'll read it for you if you find that useful. <laughs> so the purpose of my investment portfolio, ours, the one for me and my wife, is to provide for our long term financial security using a total return strategy, as you mentioned, employing well diversified low cost assets where total return is defined as the annual, annual return on investments, including appreciation, dividends, and interest. So you're absolutely right. You know, long-term growth, yes, it's important. Preserving capital, uh, those things can be at odds with each other. But that also includes finer points like, you know, minimizing sequence risk how I can, because what do I want to do? I want this portfolio to last while we are withdrawing. And of course, that withdrawal period hopefully will be decades. And so this whole sort of framework is really set up to make sure that we're able to achieve that. Yeah. So was this something that you like, I'm just curious if, if it changed at all since you took over management of your portfolio from your financial advisors, like, is that something that they wrote and you just kind of like twisted the dials a little bit and ch changed it up a little bit or like to talk yeah. about that? It's a good question. I, when I first took on, you know, full oversight of our finances, our full portfolio management and et cetera, originally I did just tweak it a little bit. I made sure that, you know, the high level asset allocation, which I had changed a little bit, um, was accurate and made a few other changes. But as I started to think about it more and, you know, do more of my own homework, seeing what other approaches people had taken, I realized that things were not in there that were more on the kind of account maintenance and the very tactical side. Yeah. And it's totally true that if you go out there and Google for different people's investing policy statements, you do see a very different range of granularity out there. Some of them are very simple. Some of them are multiple, you know, four or five pages long. But I think one or two pages is pretty common. And so I found that some things were missing that I wanted to put in there, you know, frequency of rebalancing, the um, tolerance around those bands, you know, a 20% relative change, you know, triggering a rebalancing event, et cetera. So I started to do that over the, I think the late spring and early summer. And the revision date on my current IPS is July. And the last thing I added in there was what we started this conversation with, and that is putting in my strategies for frequency of selling, um, and, you know, and how that ties to the rebalancing frequency. Oh, okay, cool. Well, would it be helpful to kind of walk through the different sections in your IPS? Sure. I mean, we talked about the goal. The goal I have to imagine is kind of the top line, you know, sort of directing statement, right? That's right. What, what follows that? What other categories okay, so, are there? And, and we'll, of course, make this available in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. The link's in the Yours? description. Yeah, I'll make mine available. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, 100%. You know, one thing we didn't say is much like your 
overall financial strategy, we're investing for the long term. Yeah. And so barring change that you may make, like, you know, using a rising equity glide path, which, of course, you can also spell out very clearly in your IPS, the the framework of this thing shouldn't really change unless there's a major life event, positive or negative, that would cause you to do that. Yep. So. So, okay, so the next thing would be the specific objectives. And I called out four goals in our IPS that, that seemed important. Uh, the first, probably pretty basic, generating income from our investments to support annual expenses. We will take withdrawals, and they are not to exceed our withdrawal rate ceiling that we've set. The second, in doing wait, so— Wait, 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 wait. Are yeah. you are you putting in what those annual expenses are? And so in I presume you're not putting that in the public document that you're sharing, but yeah. are they in your IPS? They're not because for me, oh. you know, expenses can be fluid. But what I do have a set and I have this definition farther down in the document <clears throat> is my annual rate ceiling. And as we've discussed before, my maximum withdrawal rate is 3.25%. Uh, that's what I've modeled. That's what I've been working with. I am currently withdrawing below that. And that's why I word this as withdrawals not to exceed our rate ceiling. So even if our expenses change over time, as long as I'm staying true to that withdrawal strategy, I think I'm doing the right thing. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. That makes okay. sense. The second one, probably also pretty obvious, you know, in doing so we want to try to minimize potential tax liability where we can. That's a goal of how we're going to approach maintaining our Portfolio. So you don't feel like you have to pull your fair fair weight in the country? Oh, I absolutely do. And I think I have paid a tremendous amount of taxes, and that's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, but of course, we always like to talk about the difference between uh, tax evasion and uh, tax avoidance. And so we don't want to pay unnecessary taxes. We want to make sure that our withdrawals are done in a sensible way. Paying the minimal necessary. <laughs> yes, but not letting the tax tail wag the portfolio dog, of course. You know, it strikes me going back to this withdrawal rate, um, that sounds like that's something that could be potentially changing over time. Yeah, it could. And I think right now I have my ceiling set where it is. But, you know, as we go farther out, it doesn't mean that I couldn't change my thoughts on that. Um, you know, it's a good question. You know, the way we set up our... our um, our number, our fire number, and then looked at our expenses, we know that we're doing well at a you know 2.7% withdrawal rate yeah, right we now. We talked about that, it being really conservative. So I was thinking yeah, like, okay, it is. maybe something that belongs in here, and maybe this is a revision you need to make you know, in the future as you think about this, but as you get outside of that early window that, of sequence risk, which I know according to Karsten... <laughs> Never goes never away, gone. <laughs> but you're going to feel a lot different five years in knowing that the machine is operating as you expect it. And yeah, that's, that may be a time to revisit that and say, okay, every five years we, uh, I don't know what that looks yeah, like. That's, but. that's an interesting idea. You'll see when we get to the bottom, I put in kind of a hand wavy statement about, you know, <laughs> there being occasions where you could exceed it. And that's why withdrawing below is a good idea, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Permission slip to uh, yeah, violate totally. the entire IPS well, I wouldn't call it violation, but we'll see what you think. Okay. Three is uh, pretty much nuts and bolts. It's, you know, that, that I'll monitor the portfolio allocation against the targets, um, benchmarking returns against expectations, and that it's totally okay to consider revisions to strategy, you know, if our personal situations dictate. Um, but we won't do so in response to short-term market conditions. That's not something that we want to be doing. Market timing of any kind. I'm laughing because this just strikes me as you speaking with yourself. You're having a dialogue with yourself. It's like one shoulder speaking to the other shoulder. 
Well, I mean, I like to think that this all follows logically. I'm not trying to weasel out of things, but I do think of this as a it's a document that I hope can live and speak for itself. And so, you know, one of the things I think about with an IPS is kind of like anything. It's not, you know, really estate planning, but it fits pretty well with it. Right. You know, I think about like my wife, Lori, having to take this on, you know, if if I'm unable to for whatever reason, (laughs) she's going to call me. (laughs) She could be she like, might call you. what is this thing? <laughs> <laughs> or, or like, just wad it up and throw it away. Forget that. <laughs> you know, if, um, if, uh, if a trustee needs to be overseeing our finances at some point, this is a document that would be referred to in our letter of instruction that somebody could use to make sure they're following our Jeez, wishes. Right? right. Yeah. Okay. This is the way I think about it. All right. It doesn't yeah. mean everybody has to. No, you're an organized guy. I get it. Well, I mean, let, let's let's just take a step back for a second, Eric, right? I am not going to sit here and talk to you and say that, well, everybody needs to have something that looks like this <laughs> because they don't. Honestly, if most people just had a simple uh, plan, an investing plan just defines what they're trying to do yeah. and what are the assets, you know, where are they located and what are the funds they want to invest in? And that'll just help them stay on track and remind themselves why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. That's great. And you could do that and you probably put that together in 20 minutes. I mean, I'm kind of kidding with you here a little bit. Oh, because, I know. Because uh, I, what I've noticed with my wife and I, as we're trying to get our financial house in order, you know, and we're in we're in a different stage than you are, obviously. Totally. Yeah. But you know, one of those things after we met with this financial advisor, he's like, you need an emergency side letter of instruction and you need this and that. And so I've been trying to pull all these things together. And part of that right. process has been trying to onboard my wife into some of these things. So for example, like a password manager, like, I don't know how long you and your wife have been using a password manager and sharing passwords, but for us, it's been less than six months. And my okay. wife is completely hesitant to take all the passwords, which she has effectively on digital sticky notes everywhere, um, and collate them into this system. So I'm just picturing myself here getting onboarded onto the IPS, right? Yeah. And I see the value in kind of you know, codifying some of these steps that we've made, allocation, when we're going to rebalance, and especially yeah. in light of like, yeah, I may not be around forever. So, you know, it makes sense to kind of put those things in writing, but I'm trying to think like, okay, how am I going to convince my wife that like, this is actually important to do, you know what I mean? Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi, checking in with a quick request. Jason and I love making this show and sharing our conversations, but we need your help spreading the word. The best way to do that is to give us a quick rating and review on your podcast app of choice. And if you know someone on the Fi path, please hit that share button on your favorite episode. Every little bit helps. Thanks. You know, that's a fair point. And it's not to say that you can't start somewhere and then, you know, have that document evolve. It should be looked at as a living document. It doesn't mean you're changing your whole investment strategy, but the way you define it could change. And, you know, and maybe another thing that we should link in the show notes, one of the most popular IPSs that you see referred to on Bogleheads was written by a user. I think their name was Sonny, if I remember right. It's so tiny. Uh It's a few lines. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it calls out, you know, in, in very you know, brief words, exactly what they aim to do without a lot of unnecessary detail. Yeah. And that would be a great starting point for anybody. I mean, I like this just it existing as this kind of basic instruction book for yeah. in, in your absence for someone to kind of execute the plan, because that's 
essentially what this is. It's like, yeah, it is Yeah, documenting the, what the, what the precise plan is. And yours sounds like, I mean, I, I don't want to preempt, you know, all the different steps and stages of this thing. Um, but I just, I just kind of wanted to put that out there and say like, okay, it is effectively a plan. How detailed it needs to be kind of remains to be seen. So what's, what's yeah. next? Uh, the last objective in there is a good example of something that's poorly defined now, but that we will add granularity to over time. And that is to leave a meaningful inheritance for our daughter oh. and to enable directed giving to causes of our choosing. You know, right now we're not taking explicit steps, you know, to to move this certain amount of money and, and do these things. You know, yes, when we did all our modeling of, you know, safe withdrawal rate and portfolio longevity, you know, we would put the percentage that we, you know, aim to have left at the end. But as you know, better than anybody uh, I talk to regularly, depending on what curve you end up on, what the market does, that you could end up with far more than your principal you started with or a fraction of it. So that's something that we anticipate revisiting over time. So what, like, how would you define meaningful? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, but you know, I mean, maybe a, a stab at it would be like saying something like I want you know, 15% of my starting portfolio value to remain at the end. Okay. And you could model that in the safe withdrawal rate toolbox right. as one example. Yeah, no, that's a great tool for actually doing that. Yeah, totally. So the next section is time horizon. And this could very much differ by person based upon the age at which they put this together, their likely lifespan, depending upon their own family and their own health circumstances. You know, I like to talk about worst case planning in, in air quotes here. So the time horizon I, that I have defined is long-term investment time horizon, where worst case plan to 99 years of age, absent any information otherwise. You're not going to live that uh, long, dude. Sorry. Yeah, probably not. I mean, you know, statistically <laughs> speaking, I'm not, but... I've got an awful lot of people in my family over 90 years old. So um, I got to assume that my money's got to last. Uh, it's an interesting question, retirement. though, because, you know, when you get beyond, I mean, how much traveling are you going to be doing in your 90s? I don't know how yeah. much travel you're going to be doing in your late oh, 80s. Absolutely. You know, so yeah. it's like it's really interesting to think about how these assets, like what assets support you in what stage of your life. I heard uh, an interesting podcast this week. Oh, okay. I think it was an interview that Doc G did um, with someone who lost his wife to cancer um, in her 50s. He's in his 50s. And he had planned out various assets like his house that he was going to basically mortgage, you know, as he got older and the, the, he yeah. had certain plans for certain assets that he had in there. Um, I suppose that's something you could could codify in in this IPS. But you, you've chosen to say, OK, we're going to leave it a little amorphous right now while yes. we're you know approaching the age of 50 and uh, and we'll define it later. I like that. Yeah, thanks. So the next section is it's just a statement about risk tolerance and it's acknowledging that you know, based on how we look at the world, um, you know, was was all considered in putting together this investment program. And there's a lot of factors that influence that, but they include, you know, personal risk tolerance, asset allocation, you know, lifespan, present financial condition, our goals, et cetera. So What's your risk tolerance? Um, I would say it's moderately aggressive. It's not aggressive like you, but it's clearly not overly conservative. There's a lot of people on Bogleheads who, you know, like to start with a completely flipped ratio of bonds um, and equities, as I do. Right. Yeah. I'm 70, 30. Again, it's, um, it's kind of little it's a little bit amorphous, though. Right. It's like yeah. rate something between zero and 10 and you can't use you know, three or seven. <laughs> well, this is a good question. And, you know, one of the more interesting exercises that we did, and we've done this with a, a couple of different 
advisors over time was you go through this kind of battery of questions that, you know, you and if you have a partner, each answer independently uh-huh. uh, about you know, and it sort of frames up your risk tolerance as one of those things. It's like, well, would you rather choose uh, this investment that has a 50% chance of doubling, but it has this chance of dra- so they do all these scenarios. God, and some I hate of those, those questions. Some of those are mathematical, like that, and some of them are a little softer. And that's one of the things that is used in that kind of onboarding meeting. I forget there's a name for it that advisors tend to use yeah. for that meeting that you go over that and they sort of make sure they understand your kind of personal preferences and risk tolerances. And then it's a marriage of that with your actual investment goals. It's like the financial so, Myers-Briggs. It's kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> Except it's, um, you end up with moderately aggressive and like, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, so and and this is kind of something you referenced earlier. So the asset allocation I have is a product of where I started with advisors, you know, more than eight years ago at this point, and then how my own personal thoughts evolved over time. And, you know, our conversations over the last, you know, year and a half have very much been a part of that. Uh, my own research, et cetera. And, and, and then that's how we get to where we are now, which is the next section. And that's sort of my, my target allocation. Yep. And that has changed over time. It hasn't yeah. gone night and day. Yeah. But as you know, it's changed. I added more bonds. I you know, removed some funds with higher expense ratios, um, simplified the portfolio while trying to preserve you know, the optionality I had in there before. Yep. So you got your asset allocation in there. What's next? So the next section was just a a brief couple of statements about selection criteria, because, you know, one thing you don't find in a lot of IPSs is the specific funds that are being held in those, uh, you know, to to find that asset allocation. And to me, that makes sense. I don't know how you feel about this, but, you know, depending upon a variety of factors, you may choose to change the underlying funds that go into your international allocation or, you know, some other portion of your portfolio. You're talking about tilting something. Well, not necessarily a tilt, Eric, but you know what I mean? The exact funds you use, because like, let's talk about like tax loss, harvesting, intermediate treasury bonds. Oh, okay. I see. You know, you're going to move to a different fund. Well, to your point earlier, it seems like a silly paper exercise to keep updating this document when a specific fund changes. But what I think is important is defining the thoughts around, well, why did we select funds, right? Things like expense ratio. Yeah, I was going to say low um, cost, right? Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. low cost, you know favoring passively managed indexed funds over those that are actively managed. I did make a statement in here that single stocks are appropriate up to a ceiling of 5% of total portfolio. And that's as much a reflection of what mine currently are, which is around 3% single stocks uh, of the total portfolio. Um, and giving a little you know, room in there if I decided to take on a little bit more, but not more than 5%. Okay. Uh, what's the review process? So basically going to monitor performance and, you know, document it quarterly and, you know, you know, review the overall investment program annually. You know, yes, this is long term, but that doesn't mean that periodic adjustments aren't appropriate if anything is kind of going out of balance, but you should be able to justify it, you know, in line with the, the tenets of the IPS. So just a couple sentences on that. Probably one of the more important things, especially germane to the conversations you and I have had on this show, is the sec- the next couple sections. And the first is on rebalancing. Couple sections. Well, <laughs> look, man. How many pages is this? Two. 
I, we're on the second page, man. So the next section is rebalancing, right? Pretty simple. It's in line with what you and I talked about before. It says the percent weighting of each asset class will be allowed to vary within a reasonable range of plus or minus 20% relative to the target. And then we will decide the best way to affect transactions to rebalance that, making, of course, efforts to minimize the impact of tax. And rebalancing will happen twice a year in May and November. And the rationale for that is one is basically midpoint of the year, and the other one is you know, late in the year, but still early enough if I you know, you got to think about the whole portfolio and your whole financial picture heading into tax season, right? Uh, and so well, it's pretty when dividends are paid, isn't it? <laughs> yes, but uh, you know, you, you know, when when they're announced, right? It's not like they're announced two days before. Yeah. So but you know, you got to think about things like if you're thinking about Roth conversions, or you're thinking about yeah. maximizing that, you know, 0% capital gains ceiling. So the thought here, and you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm the most clever person in the world, I've seen other people refer to doing a rebalance, if you're doing it twice a year, you know, kind of in this time frame, because it gives you time to contemplate the, the tax implications of all these moves. And rebalancing is just one part of that. So that, that's the frequency that I've elected to do at this stage. Um, and, you know, that could change. But this is what I've defined. And the basic research that has been done by Vanguard and others is that rebalancing frequency um, doesn't play a huge role in the total portfolio return, right? I mean, you don't want to do it too frequently. Um, right. And you want to be consistent because that shaves off potential return, right? You're always rebalancing from the asset that's further ahead into the one that's lagging. Yes. So that will sh actually shave off returns. So I forget what they said about twice a year. Twice a year. I mean, I, and Carson has written about this as well. Twice a year seems if by many measures to be about right. Yeah. Um, you know, once a year is perhaps too infrequent. Quarterly is probably okay. Monthly is maybe too much because of course you're balancing fees and uh, you know, capturing momentum and things like that. So yeah, I've, right. I've been twice a year feels good to me. So that's kind of what. Is that what, what you've I'm, always done? And you're just kind of putting it, putting it down in your IPS now, or is this a change? Uh, I would say the, the way that, you know, my former advisors and I talked about this topic was always, you know, we look at it quarterly. Yeah. Um, we may make, say, that seems more reasonable. Like quarterly, we may make changes, advisor. but you know, we don't change something every quarter. So, you know, when I look back, it feels like twice a year is about the time where, you know, things were really happening if they were. So I don't think it's terribly different, perhaps uh, slightly, but, you know, this is what I've elected. As I hear you read through all of these sections, I'm like, okay, well, geez, for someone who's just who's trying to manage their whole financial life and also work and well, you know, I'm not, I'm not pretending like I'm more busy than someone else, but if you really want to put this into action, is there a way that you can automate it? <laughs> You know, yeah, no, that's a fair point. And, you know, of course, rebalancing is also probably less of an issue for the early investor, True. many of whom, especially if they're following, you know, kind of fi current financial media, people on the fire path, they're probably investing in, you know, total market, you sure. know, you know, VTSAX or, or VTI, and maybe they have an international fund in there as well. But probably not too much else. And so it doesn't become so much of a big deal. It, it becomes a bigger deal as time goes on. Most importantly, you just don't want to ignore it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it does strike me that your your maybe your pre-fi IPS is actually going to have an additional line item about like savings rate or something like that. Yeah, right. that's a great point. Um, I think it probably would in many cases. Because I mean, that's something that can be automated into your financial life and can actually save headspace. And that's something that it can, you know, distribute into a certain asset allocation. I, was that a category that you had um, 
in your IPS before reaching fire? No, didn't. We okay. had that was a it was a conversation point where you know we would set we would agree on kind of what our savings goals were, uh, and then periodically we would evaluate them as as my income increased and I wanted to increase my rate of savings or what to do with one-time income like bonuses, for example. Um, but it wasn't a part of my IPS as I recall, but uh, I also don't have that one in front of me. Yeah, okay. Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi. If you've been listening to Jason and I on the podcast, you may not be aware that we also have a YouTube channel. And quite often, we have supporting graphics, charts, information, and even a few outtakes that don't fit well in an audio format. So if you're into that kind of thing, you can find us on YouTube at Two Sides of Fi. Next section uh, fits really well with the topic you and I have discussed recently, and that's what's the withdrawal and cash holding strategies. And so... Um, you know, because we have a variety of different types of accounts and I am under 59 and a half years old, you know, the taxable account is going to be taxable accounts are going to be the biggest source of income mm -hmm. for us in the present. And so, uh, talk about the fact that, uh, what will we do to get cash? Well, asset sales will happen as a part of, you know, this biannual portfolio rebalancing, um, we want to avoid market timing, do it on a schedule. We'll also transfer dividends and capital gains income that's received in that taxable account to an operating account. And that operating account is what we'll use to fund our lifestyle. And we will do auto withdrawals um, on a regular basis. Uh, we do this monthly, presently. Um, but we will not exceed our rate ceiling of 3.25% uh, as measured as a percentage against the portfolio starting value one, when I started withdrawing. When you and started other, withdrawing. Yeah, when I started withdrawing. <laughs> um, and I also put a statement in there, which which I find appropriate and I think makes good sense to me. And it, I say that this rate may be but is not required to be adjusted for inflation each, each year. Because whether you're talking about, you know, the 4% rule of thumb or any variance thereof, you're always talking about, you know, uh, inflation adjusted withdrawals. I did not uh, adjust my withdrawals for inflation this year. Um, so I didn't automatically increase it because I found that we're able to maintain, um, on our current budget, yep. especially with the little bit of side income we have coming it's in. Cause you're from, not eating any meat, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, our grocery bills are probably lower than yours. I also have one teen and not two, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the, the practice that you can increase that withdrawal rate annually based on inflation yeah. rate, but right. we haven't elected to do yeah. that yet. Uh, the last thing in this section is just defining what our, our cash holding targets are. Um, and we have one and a half to two years of projected expenses as the range we want to keep that cash in. Uh, and I also state that the funds not needed for at least one year can be held in I-bonds or other low-risk vehicles uh, so long as funds can be accessed when they're needed. So um, when you get down to 18 months, you replenish to 24? Is that what that rule says or...? It says that I'm allowed to keep it within that range. So, so, so it's an absolute, when you get to 18 months, you got to replenish. Correct. So every six months you're going. Yep. Unless I change unless. my philosophy. Now, one thing I did do, you'll recall, we talked about the fact that I was still previously holding uh, a six month emergency fund in addition to my right. cash allocation. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did unwind that and I move that into my, um, my operating account at my last rebalancing interval. And so that allowed me to 
kind of defer selling because yeah. I had cash available. You got rid of some of your factors of safety upon factors. I of did. Safety, huh? Yes. Yeah. I do pay attention. And I, I, you know, <laughs> thinking about our conversation, you and I had, uh, thinking about the conversation we had with Karsten, um, and just kind of balancing all that with my risk tolerance, realizing, you know, I was holding too much cash. Hey, you'd always just liquidate your wife's car again. Yeah. I could just sell her car. Um, she probably Buy her another mind. leaf. <laughs> no, she doesn't want another leaf. <laughs> no, she's all set. The uh, the, fi the final. Oh my section. god! There's more. <laughs> there's one more, dude. Again, I look. I thought this, this was going to be a short episode. So I made a final section called other considerations, and I I just think these are good <laughs> reminders, not necessarily just for me, but again, somebody else. If anyone else is ever managing this, these aren't so bad. So the first is. Income will be will be managed to the best of our ability to stay within the zero percent capital gain limits. This will also support our aim to qualify for subsidized ACA insurance while we're eligible for the same. This is a lean fire clause. It's not a bad clause, man. <laughs> the second point: dividends will not be automatically reinvested except in the HSA account. Right? I want to. We like optionality, so I want to be able to choose what happens to the dividends. Uh, not, usually, not taking even in them your out. Roth. Nope. Because really? I want to, you know, basically it gives me a, a rebalancing opportunity, right? If something's drifting a little bit and I hold several different funds in my Roth, which is true, I want to be able to choose where it goes. Okay. Okay. Well, what are you holding in your Roth, if I might be so bold? Jeez, uh, you may ask like I remember off the top of my head. It's, well, it's primarily S&P index fund. Yeah. Okay. You wouldn't primarily. But there's, there's some international index fund in there too, I believe. I see. Okay. Yeah. So I can choose. Gotcha. Uh, third point, and probably an unsurprising one to have in there, uh, partial Roth conversion strategies will be investigated annually to determine whether and to what degree this tactic will benefit our long-term goals, right? Reminder, when we do our annual financial review, consider whether Roth conversions are part of strategy or not. Oof. Is that it? Nope, one more. Oh, my God. Annual consultation with our CPA will determine what, if any, retirement contributions are to be made. Okay. Because you it. still have some residual income from these massively profitable businesses you've started. Oh yeah, yeah. The working at the working at the winery one day a week, uh, and Lori working at the brewery one day a week. Those are those and are big. And two money. sides of five, buddy. Oh well, two sides of five. Yes, you're right. After we pay for the web hosting and the podcast uh, service, we have enough money to have a, a delicious coffee. <laughs> <laughs> We still haven't not had that delicious coffee yet, but no, maybe if we put that buy me a coffee button, we could have two coffees. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so that's, that's my IPS. I mean, <sighs> you know, and when you see it written, it's, it's just two pages. It's a table. Um, but you know, did I put in more detail than I would need if it was just for myself? Absolutely. There's definitely framing and clarifying text in there and not everybody may want to do that. But for me, I like that this feels like something I can just hand off to somebody. So it was definitely part of my approach. Yeah. Do so, I, what, so what do you, do huh? I need one of these? It can, it's, let me put it this way. You're, <laughs> I, I doubt you're faltering because of it. Maybe, maybe it would give you a, a slight amount of hesitation in unwinding your bond position by reminding yourself why you have a bond, certain bond position. It's I don't done, know, man, too late. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> See, it's as soon not, as Carson gave you permission, you're like, whoop, just whoop, selling that. <laughs> back up to 100 zero. No, man, I said that in previous episodes. I, know you I was did. like, I, I see the value, but you know, I'm still two years out, two plus years out at this point. Um, 
you know, so it probably makes sense to be a little more aggressive. Come on, you get behind that, can't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I enjoy your dice rolling. Two years out, I didn't have that bond allocation that you had either. But, I mean, I also got lucky, as we talked about, right? I mean, the fact that I yeah. was so heavy in equities, even in the last year, meant I got to ride the end of that 12-year uh, bull market that I wouldn't have been able to as fully participate in if I had started getting more conservative in that last two years, you know, that glide path that many people follow. So that worked out. But, you know, was it the best strategy? It was a strategy. Probably certainly wasn't the most conservative. So, yeah, I think it's it's a useful document. It's a helpful document to answer your question. Do you need one? No, obviously, you're getting by fine without one. But I think it's a useful part of anyone's financial toolkit. Obviously, I'm convinced by it. If I didn't need like if I didn't want it to be that sort of thorough. I mean, one yeah. of the, one, here's one of the things, Jay, that I like about this um, dialogue is that you're, you're presenting me the perfect plan, right? You've got, it's all nutted out. Everything's figured out. And so I get to look at that and, you know, the rest of our viewers and listeners get to benefit from looking at all of the tick boxes that you filled out and then yeah. sort of sniping the things that are useful to their own financial situation. Totally. So I, I, what I like about it is, you know, I may have forgotten six or eight of those things on your 48 <laughs> point checklist Come on, and, man. and so I can fill in the gaps in my own own plan not you know I'm not sure I'm gonna I mean I did look at your investment uh, investor investment policy I see I can't even say it man <laughs> it's, it's called like, IPS it's so IPS much I looked at it before <laughs> we got on here but I, I thought yeah I don't know if this is for me man it's just kind of saying stuff that I already know and feel and for you, what you're yeah. telling me is that there's some comfort in being able to look back at that and say okay I've, I've defined these things and if i have to hand it to somebody else they can execute the plan that i developed and yeah. you know my question is like well who's that person going to be is it going to be Lori? is it going to be your wife maybe because she may just look at it and go i'm just going to kind of keep it where it's at you know what i mean but yeah yeah. But somebody's got to do that rebalancing. It's a, and you know, well. Lori doesn't want to have a monthly financial meeting. And so we don't have one. <laughs> yeah. Annually, I show her the side letter of instruction where all the information is with all the accounts and everything and the name of advisors she could choose to go seek if she doesn't want to do this. And this is just another piece of that. I, I don't want to I don't want to have it come across that that's the only reason I have this. Oh. Honestly, it helps me a lot, too. It forced me to think through all these things. It gives me something I can go back to. And refer to it any time because let's face it, I'm not in my account every day. I'm twice a year, you know, doing rebalancing, uh, annually looking at at it uh, as a whole. And you know, over time, you know, who knows? I may give it less and less attention. It could be just become purely this little tactical exercise I do periodically. And having this document is going to be nice to refer to uh, and and give me kind of a jumping off point. You know, I think what everybody would benefit from back to your actual question, you know, would this benefit me would benefit by having a very simple investing plan, right? Here's my asset allocation. Here's why it's like this. And this is what I'm going to how I'm going to manage it. Yeah. You know, that, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, that's what I ho was hoping you were going to say, because yeah. I feel like I mean, I already have that in like I keep that in my notion that I share with my wife. So if there's ever a question, it's like, here's what we decided at our last monthly meeting. <laughs> oh, so that's how you use it. It's ammunition. Uh, well, sometimes it's like, well, no, we didn't. We didn't. Just, no, so I always, I always take notes, man. I'm the secretary at these, at these meetings. I'm like, here's what we decided. And then we can just reference it back and you know, then I can be right. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so picturing I, I don't think you and Laura email each other, but I'm picturing emailing her like if you will refer to section one, we discussed this last week and we, this is why we are doing this. She, she's a scientist like you, man. She needs yeah. she needs documentation yeah. and data. So Yeah, well you better prepare some graphs of performance because <laughs> that's the only way she's gonna be comfortable with all this. Uh a Sankey chart. Oh, a Sankey chart. Yeah, those are pretty good for is it showing. Sankey cash flow. or Sankey? Sankey. Sankey. No D. Yeah, Sankey. It's like cash flows. I know it's cash flows, but I, yeah. do you say it Sankey or Sankey? Sankey. I say, I say Sankey. This is named after Richard Sankey. Yeah, there you go. You remembered his first <laughs> no, name. I, I sure know. don't. Or you made it up. It could be like Steve. I might have made it up. Chip. I have <laughs> Chip no idea. Chip Sankey. <laughs> <laughs> That was pretty brilliant, man. Oh, you like that? Chip Sankey. (laughs) All right, so Eric, after 45 minutes or so of excruciating detail, have I convinced you of the value of an investing policy statement? You have not. (laughs) Okay, I didn't think so. Have I convinced you that having some kind of documentation of your financial plan is a good thing? Yes, absolutely. And you already have one. So, hey, you're ahead of the game. (laughs) No, I was going to say the the emergency side letter of instruction, which was, uh, there's got to be a better name for something like that. But the the financial advisor that you and I both met with previously, we hired to look at our portfolios. He suggested creating one of those and gave us a template. And I actually found that to be a document which was really kind of a little bit time consuming to create, but I could see how that like that may serve some of the same purposes that you're talking about here with the IPS. Um, and it's just some, it's a document to hand to somebody else that says like, here's, here's how the whole thing operates. Um, cause mm. I'm just, I'm kind of struggling with this. Like we have paperwork over here and paperwork here. And it's like just a whole massive, like financial volume of our life. And I'm trying to kind of yeah. get, you know, sort of segment things and just keep it all together. You know what I mean? I take your point. I, I think to me they're related, right? A letter of instruction is I, as I've executed mine, is all the accounts, right? Where yeah. money is held, insurance, the yeah. mortgage, all of that in one document, some potential advisors to use if you need to, right. contacts at different companies. So that to me is like purely documentation, I guess. And this is a mix of the tactical elements of something like that, but also the operating principles, our objectives, et cetera. It's, it's very specifically tied to how we manage our investment portfolio. So, you know, maybe it's just another element of your overall estate plan, I guess. But yeah, I think of them as different, but they're, uh, they go hand in hand. Right on. All right. Well, you, you're going to share yours with us and we can all Laugh at it and cry at it. You can laugh at it all you want and then use one of the simpler templates that I'll link in the show notes (laughs) too. I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to change mine. I hope nobody looks at mine who's a trained finance expert and just tears it apart because that'll just be too much for me to bear. But, you know, if you feel like you need to, go for it. (laughs) All right, man. Well, it's been real. Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Fi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com.